Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I see I seem fun. The Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast episode 230. 230. There's a racist joke in there. I won't say it. Oh, no, it's not a racist joke. Sorry, I was thinking it was. It's not. It's, um, it's what, what time? It's something about Oh, 2.30, time for my dentist appointment. That's the joke. Get it? Tooth hurty. My tooth hurty. Anyway, this is the kind of humor you can get on the I Seem Fun podcast that is really why it's, I think, number 600 in the iTunes charts. Whatever the whatever the lowest number that exists is, like pi minus um, infinity is the number it is. Go to iTunes, give this podcast five stars, write a review, and say... I hate this podcast, but I listen every week. Just write something ridiculous or write something very sincere. Maybe you can be like, oh my God, my life has changed since I listened to this podcast. It has nothing to do with the podcast, but I just thought I would let you know that my life has changed. And then also I listened to the podcast. You can go to my website, jenkirkman.com slash podcast, and you can look at descriptions of past episodes. There's many ways to listen. SoundCloud, Libsyn, Google Play, iTunes, iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at I Seem Fun Podcast. Um, well, that's that's the podcast. I mean, would you please do that? Again, there's not enough of you following it. Just go at I Seem Fun Podcast. Just fucking follow it. I don't tweet that much from it. I want it to have a lot of things on there. I'm trying to wean off the Facebook. I mean, I still update the Facebook page for I Seem Fun, but let's all try to not use Facebook. If you want to say anything, if you want advice, 
Um, I, I hope you guys loved the advice episode I did last week. A lot of people are like, do a spinoff show. I'm like, I literally don't even have time to do this podcast. That episode was supposed to be banked in case I had an emergency and couldn't record the episode. And I had an emergency. I had to use it right away. And I'm like recording this tonight. As you're listening to this, it's been being recorded the night before. I'm trying not to get so backlogged that I actually I try to do them kind of in advance. So um, what I'm saying to you is, no, there can't be a fucking spinoff. And also, I'm in New York. Allison's in L.A. I mean, Pete, does anyone listen to my life? Does anyone listen to me? But, um, but when I'm back in June, I do think we are going to record maybe a couple more. I will bank those. We will use them in future episodes. So if you want some advice from Allison and myself, please send an email to iseemfun at gmail.com, subject heading advice. You can also tweet the advice at Podcast if it's a shorty. It's a short question. Um, all joke questions will be dismissed. It's never funny. You know what I'm saying? It's just never funny. Um, what else? Watch my special. Just keep living on Netflix. Give it a thumbs up. Just keep cycling it. Watch it over and over and over. Um, what else can you do? I am part of the All Things Comedy Network. You can go to allthingscomedy.com and look at all the other fantastic podcasts that are part of this fabulous network of comedians. I have so much to talk about. I have like six episodes I could record right now if I had the time. Oh my God, you guys. So my surgery was exactly two weeks ago. Oh my fucking God. It has been like the trifecta of things that annoy me. People not listening to what the surgery... I'm so controlling and managing. It's like people not listening to what the surgery was, telling me about their sinus issues. I'm like, I didn't have sinus issues. We have eight sinuses. I got two of mine operated on. They're called the sphenoid sinuses. Of all the sinuses, they are the least typical of the sinus. Does that make sense? They're not the things in the front where you get a stuffy nose. They're way in the back. So when your sinuses drain and you get postnasal drip, the postnasal drip passes through the sphenoid sinuses and down your throat. Those those sinuses were filled with pus and infection, bacterial infection, for years. And I didn't know about it because there's no symptoms. We found it on a CAT scan. And you have to clear out the pus and infection because it was starting to increase. And that's what made my doctor go, oh, wait, this isn't dormant. This is active. And I bet... Your body is fighting an active infection way back in there and you're probably tired all the time and it gets dangerous if they get too filled because you can get meningitis, it can, you can go blind. All those sinuses way back there, they're, t- they're near the brain. They're near the, be careful, people, with those sphenoids. Um, so yeah, so it's sort of a symptomless experience So there's really not going to be like, it's not like knee surgery where you're like, oh my God, I'm walking again. I'm not going to notice when I recover, like, oh, I can blah, blah again. Like there's not, I didn't feel it in the first place. Now, the one thing I might feel, he said, is a little more energy Uh, because hopefully my body has stopped fighting the infection that is no longer there. 
I also had a deviated septum and he gave me a septoplasy. And then everyone goes, your nose looks great. It's not even swollen. Because it wasn't a rhinoplasty, you dumb fucks. A rhinoplasty is when they break your nose to fix the deviated septum. And then you get a nose job on top of it. This nose don't need no job. My nose is perfect, okay? So I had a septoplasy. Plasm. Plasy. I said to him, and he said, and I'm going to fix your deviated septum. I was like, the hell you is. I know what you people do with this fixing deviated septum. Don't break my beautiful little nose. And he said, no, 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 no. It's septoplasy. I go in and I cut inside. I kind of move it around. And then he reduced my turbinates or something. So I guess I have more room in my nose to breathe. And it, it'll help things that I, I guess like if I get sick, um, like one side of my nose won't clog up more than the other, the way that, I don't know, I don't usually get your typical like kind of cold, but my left side was like completely almost closed up. But I was like, I don't know, I never noticed it. But uh, yeah, helps with snoring, which I don't do anyway because I'm perfect. So, but oh my fucking God, I got to tell you, this was the most traumatic thing I've ever gone through in my fucking life. And I guess I should say I'm pretty goddamn lucky if sinus surgery is the most traumatic thing I've gone through. I'm going to say physically, not emotionally. And not like sexismly. But it is, it is such a mindfuck, this surgery, that I cannot believe how little we talk about mental health in regards to our physical health up in here. I was going to say in this country, but I don't know what countries exactly are nailing it in this area. I really don't know. You know, I know other countries have health care and we don't, but, you know, a country like Australia, which I used to spend a lot of time in, and I really miss it, but it's, I can't, my dates with the festivals just haven't been working out because of my job at Mrs. Maisel the last two years. But the thing with Australia is like, okay, so they have like healthcare paid for. Um, but everyone I know there is like therapy averse. You know, it's like, it's not a big talking about mental health place. So it's like, you know, I don't know. Why am I getting into that? Um, so here's what happened. (laughs) First of all, so my friend Sarah drives me to surgery, which was nice. And I'm so like not able to let people take care of me sometimes. And then sometimes I am. It's sort of like when people really need to take care of me. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then when it's not necessary to be taken care of, I'm like, where is everyone? I need attention and to be taken care of. It's like when I'm emotionally a wreck is when I expect too much of people. And then when I like actually need something, I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just weird that way. So Oh my God, I have to tell you about my voice therapy. And they're like, you need your hearing tested. You talk too loud. And I'm like, I fucking knew. I think something is wrong with my hearing. Like, whatever. That's the whole thing. Um, I'm not going to get to that in this one. Oh, by the way. No, I'll get to that later. Um, so I'll just take you through what what's up with surgery. There's going to be some talk of blood. <laughs> but I won't show you pictures. 
I didn't know so many of my friends were sensitive about photos of stints coming out of a nose. I mean, it wasn't a photo of it coming out, but I took a picture of these plastic things that were in my nose and like they had some dried blood on it. And my friends are like, oh my God, gross. And I'm always like weirded out when women get like that. I'm like, well, you get your period, don't you? I mean, I can look at someone else's blood. I don't want to look at anyone else's poop or vomit, but I also don't want to look at my own. But my own blood I can look at. I don't know. It's weird. I, I guess people are weird with blood. Um, who knew? I'm acting like it's not the most normal thing to be weirded out by. But I put like with bodily fluids, I put like poop, vomit, other weird things that are like in just like vaginal yeast, some whatever's coming out of a guy's thing, secretions from any um, fucking... I don't know what, whatever, some STD you have that has secretions, all that stuff I cannot look at or deal with blood. I just, I don't know. It doesn't seem dirty and gross to me. It just, I don't know what it is. I guess I'm just amazing. Anyway, so Sarah drives me to surgery and she's like, do you want me to come in with you? I'm like, no. And I really don't because what is she going to do? Like, again, once I'm nervous, I'm nervous. Once I'm anxious, I'm anxious. And I was in the pre-panic attack anxiety, which is very shut down. I'm just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm either making jokes or I'm like just bracing myself. And I just completely become made of stone. So if my friend is with me in the waiting room, it really doesn't do anything. If something very traumatic was happening, like I was getting cancer results or first day at chemo, like, yeah, I'd probably want someone there to like hold my hand. But it's like, really, I was just afraid of going under anesthesia. And I know that there are professionals behind that door, behind the, you know, open the door from the waiting room to the other area. And there are professionals equipped to deal with that in ways that my friend Sarah and nobody can, nobody can soothe me in that moment. It's, I just need the drugs. So, um, and I'm glad she didn't come in with me because I waited 45 minutes before they took me in, which by the way, they probably, they said get their check-in is 1230 and then the surgery is 1:30. I guess in my mind, I was picturing and they take me to the pre-op area where they give you the warm blanket and the little bed. Um, I was picturing that's where I go at 1230 and I spend until 130 there. But that, when I got my um, upper endoscopy, that is what happens. Like I was in that pre-op area for like 45 minutes while the anesthesiologist asked me tons of questions and they did my vitals. But I mean, they did all that too at this current surgery I had, but I guess they, it takes about 15 minutes to do all that. And that's what happened. They, they let me in at one fifteen. And the other experience I had two years ago, I like laid in that bed for half an hour. So I guess it's just a matter of, are you waiting in the waiting room or are you waiting in a paper gown under a warm blanket? And to be honest, I wanted to be in the warm blanket area, but, um, you know, it's a fancy, fancy surgery center in Beverly Hills. Well, I don't know if it was fancy, but they were playing bossa nova music in the lobby. So that was kind of nice because I, I love me some Stan Getz, you know. 
And I always feel like things are going to be okay. Although I, it was making me really hungry because it was such past appetizers music, past apps. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'll have an avocado chip, but I can't, you know, because I hadn't eaten. So this was the big bummer. I'm just sitting there filling out my paperwork. And they're like, excuse me, do you have a living will? And I'm like, what's that now? And they go, do you have a living will? I go, what's a living will? You mean a will? Like a will for when I die and like who gets stuff and what to do with my body? They're like, yeah. I'm like, no, nah, I don't have one. And they're like, so when you sign off saying you don't have one, I'm like, sure. <laughs> this music's just going on. I'm like, well, I feel mortal, and I also feel stupid. Like, why don't I make a fucking will? Because I'm like, well, my sister... Like, all different people in my family have different access to whatever. Like, if I die, this person gets my 401k. And, like, I'm sure my manager would call my agent, who'd call my lawyer, my business manager. And there's all kinds of people that get a percentage of me that would, like, figure out whatever. And I don't know who would, like... There's a building manager who would probably help my family figure out how to dispose of my things. But in terms of like resuscitate me, don't throw my body in a dumpster, put it over here. I have opinions. I just haven't written them down. I'm a big fan of do not resuscitate. I'm a fan of if I am at all brain dead, even if it's like she seems half alive, kill me. My biggest fear is getting trapped in my body and being the and being there and they're like, "Oh, she's brain dead." And I'm like, "No, I'm not. Please kill me." Well, I guess they would kill you if you you know what I'm saying. Um or just like she's in a coma. We're going to see if she comes out. I'm like, "I'm not coming out. I'm stuck in here." But anyway, so I should do that. So she says that, and I'm like, oh, I'm starting to get a little shaky. And then I'm like, Jen, listen to the Stan Getz. Relax. Life is fun. Is it just a little? In three hours, you'll be out of here. Fun, fun. Do, 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 do. Do you have a living will? No. Okay, well, we're going to throw your body in a dumpster outside because of that. But don't worry. Going under anesthesia is perfectly safe. There are no risks for this operation where we get really close to your brain. Do, 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 do. Anyway, so at one i I'm starting to get nervous because I'm like, okay, what if the surgery is at one thirty? Well, they said it was. And I don't know. I, I texted my doctor the night before. He said, you can text me with any questions. So the night before I was like, hey, I really want to be very clear. I have panic attacks. And one area where I know they happen is as I'm being wheeled away to surgery, I will start flopping like a fish and trying to leave. So I would recommend for all of us, if you could give me a little something before the anesthesia. And he's like, oh, the whole point is to make you comfortable. Like we totally will. But he didn't say what it would be or how they would administer it. So I'm thinking they're going to give me some kind of pill. And I've been talking to people and they're like, oh, they usually give Ativan. I'm like, Ativan, please. Why don't you give me a vitamin C chewable and, and see if it works out of van. My body, I'm very sensitive to drugs 
And yet there's some drugs that would other people would be asleep. And I'm like, um, what was that? Did anyone get, did I really just take something? And I think it's all my years of having panic disorder and trying drugs that work into like Xanax doesn't really work for me out of van, but Clonopin arrests my panic and I don't even need a lot of it to do so. And sometimes I do, if the panic attack is really bad, then I need higher doses or, you know, but so anyway, I was like, oh, well, but I was thinking, <clears throat> well, if my surgery is at one thirty, and it's one fifteen, by the time they get me in there and then I swallow the pill and then it takes all this time to go through my system. It's, it's not going to be in my system by the time they wheel me away. And I'm starting to like get nervous and assume that I know how this process works. So I say to the, um, lady at the front desk, am I supposed to have surgery in 15 minutes? And she's like, um, let me check. She comes back. It's at one thirty, Yeah. And I go, like, there's no curiosity on her part. Like, no introspection of like, I wonder why this woman asked what time her surgery is. There's a giant clock behind me that says one fifteen, and she's here in her clothes, a very cute um, sweatpants outfit with Adidas, holding her purse. Well, you can't go to surgery like that. You need to get your vitals taken, and you need to do this, and you need to get undressed. Well, that takes a while. But her surgery's in 15 minutes. I'm going to have her take a seat. Like, there was no, like, oh, well, they're running late. You know, I said, I don't need it to be at 1.30. I don't have anywhere to be. But I'm trying to figure out if it is at 1.30 and they're going to stick to the schedule, that means that in 15 minutes I'm going to be under anesthesia. And they told me that they would give me something before the anesthesia to calm me down, and I'm beginning to be not calm. And she goes... I have a seat. It's like no matter what I said, she would have the same reaction. I have a seat. They're gonna see you real soon. I'm like, I didn't ask when they're seeing me. So they take me into some guy comes to get me. By the way, like I'm not trying to like shit on this place, but it's supposed to be all about making everyone comfortable, and like I don't really think they did. So this like one guy takes me in. Is it an orderly? Um, and, you know, he takes me into the little room. It's always like that feeling I get when I go into a hotel room for the first time. I'm like, oh, ooh, taking it all in. That's interesting. I'm like, look at all the equipment on the wall. I'm so human. You know, look at all these wires and cords that can plug into me and stick to me and hook up to me and take things out of my body and put things in my body and... I don't know. Sometimes I'm into it, you know, and it's always so cold and you never feel thinner than when you're putting on one of those gowns. Like, you know, uh, the day before I could be like weighing myself, like got to drop five. And then I put on the gown and I feel like I'm like, I feel like if I lost one more pound, I would die. Like you just feel so small. And like, I just feel so brittle when I'm in those situations for some reason. And Oh, I probably was because my, so my surgery is at one thirty. You can't eat after midnight. And, um, so it had been 14 hours since I ate anything because here was the other shit ass thing is that 
because of my silent reflux, if I eat late, then there's a chance that it can cause some acid to come back up and, um, which can cause some like phlegm in the morning. And I didn't want that feeling because it can make me kind of anxious and feeling like I can't breathe. So I, I ate at like nine. So like 12 hours is 9 a.m., 10, 11, 12, 1, 13. So it was like 16 and a half hours I hadn't eaten. And I was like, you know, your body doesn't have any like fuel at that point. So I get in my little gown and I'm laying on my bed and I'm like texting a bunch of my friends and then they take my phone away. Well, they don't take it away. They just put it in my purse. And then um, I put my belongings in a little plastic bag that says JK's belongings. And I'm like, I wonder if I'll ever put these back on again. Like you just have that moment where you're like, is this the last time I see those sneakers? And then um, I said to the orderly, are you gonna? Are you the one that gives me the thing before the anesthesia? And he's like, no. And now it's like 123. And I'm like, are they on time for the appointment? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, the fuck? Why is nobody like... Part of getting someone comfortable is not just promising them that you're going to give them a drug before the anesthesia the night before and then never mentioning it again until the drug shows up. But you got like, be like, it's coming, it's coming. He's like, I don't know. You'll have to talk to the anesthesiologist. I'm like, well, I'm afraid he's just going to come in and put me right to sleep. So you know that thing where like there's a pump on the bed and you put your foot on it and you pump someone up so that the bed raises I mean, this guy did it so inartfully. It was like, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. And I'm like bouncing. I'm like, oh, God. Like, it just was so careless. It just freaked me out a little. And he took my vitals and everything was great. Somehow managed to have high blood pressure after that moment. And then um, he's like, I'm going to put the IV in your hand. And I always forget that they put numbing lotion first. I'm like, ouchie, the hurtsies. And then he's like, well, I'm going to put numbing stuff on it. I'm like, oh, goody. And then I didn't feel it. And then it was fine. But that moment, that needle goes in your hand and they start taping up your hand. I'm like, yep, that's the beginning of the losing control of my body. (laughs) Like the begin. I know, listen, none of us have control, right? We don't know what's going to happen. You could just have an aneurysm right this second. You could whatever. And we can't think about that every second or like completely lose out on our quality of life. But there's nothing that reminds you of how little control you have than that moment, you know? And so, so then the anesthesiologist comes in. Now I can't tell if this guy's young or if he's just had a lot of Botox, but he's got a young wrinkle-free face and he comes in and, uh, I think he's gay if we're stereotyping what gay is. And then he's, and he's like, pardon me guys. Whew, sorry. Hey, as long as I took a pause, let me tell you about this week's sponsor and people, if there's actually one thing you do have control over, it's how you take care of your mental health. You may say, well, I don't have control over that. I don't have health insurance. I don't have free time. These therapists, they work nine to five. Well, guess what? So do I. I can't take an hour lunch break because therapy's an hour. Well, my lunch break's an hour, but I got to commute. I can't do therapy. I'm not in control of it at all. Oh, you forget about the internet. 
Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that enables you to improve your mental health from anywhere, anytime. You can get matched with a licensed therapist from over 2,000 choices of therapists, and you can message them whenever you need to. You get to match with your perfect therapist. They're not going to just go, here, you got to go to Joe Schmo. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen, J-E-N, and use the code Jen to get $45 off of your first month and to show your support for this show. That is a good deal. Remember, therapy isn't, it doesn't have to be black and white. It's not just like venting your innermost thoughts like you do at brunch. And it doesn't mean you have to dig deep into childhood memories. No one's going to make you do anything you don't want to do. Does that make sense? Trust me, I've been to therapy. They're not going to push you into areas you don't want to go. It can just sometimes be about practical everyday strategies for stress management, living a happier life. If you have something coming up that you really need to talk through, it's fucking great. I really, really, you will never come back from therapy feeling worse, I don't think. I mean, you might open up things that are uncomfortable or something, but you will never, your life will not get worse. And having a therapist just means that you have a designated person for you to talk to who is trained to listen to you, unlike your friends at brunch, and to help you make positive changes. To match with a perfect therapist, again, this is a fraction of the price of traditional therapy. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen, only one in Jen people, and to show your support for this podcast, use code Jen, and you will get $45 off of your first month. Thank you, Talkspace, for being a sponsor. And I would like to make an apology to our good friends at Quip, and you know that I am a subscriber to Quip. That is how I brosse les dents. That's French for brush your teeth. You're going to go to getquip.com slash fun. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash fun. And you are going to take advantage of the great offers that they have for our I Seem Fun friends. So it's getquip.com slash fun. I'm sorry, on another ad I said quip.com. That is not correct. It is getquip.com slash fun. And you will be on your way to getting delivered to your house every three months so you don't have to think about it. Amazing. They're, they're like the, the Apple. If, if Apple made a toothbrush, it's this, it's this brush. And it has its own uh, uh, toothpaste, whatever. So it, this isn't an official ad. It's just a retraction. Getquip.com. Brush better. Thank you. Okay. So in comes the anesthesiologist. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm nervous. So he starts asking me questions. Did you eat today? No. What's your thing? I go, it's sorry to interrupt. Are you going to give me something? Because I'm nervous about the anesthesia. Do you have like a little pill or something? And it literally was like, all I can think of is Little Shop of Horrors, which I actually didn't see. I just know the like, I don't know. I've seen clips, but he just pulled out this giant, it seems like a toy syringe, like this just overly giant syringe. He goes, pill, I have this. And I'm like, oh, well, then that's better. Thank you. And he's like, so then my surgeon comes in. He's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm really nervous, but he pulled out this syringe and he said it's going to help. He's like, oh yeah, you'll feel like you've had two cocktails. It'll be great. He's like, then I'm going to come back in and I'm going to talk you through 
again, what the procedure is. Now, my surgeon had talked me through it 5 billion times. He talked me through it like in my pre-op appointment. So he's like, I just have to run everything by you again. I'm like, I totally get it. He's like, it's going to be easy. This is so great. Blah, blah. I love my, the surgeon's like, yeah, easy for you. Cause it's like, this is like an, you know, it's like probably like, um, when I have to do a gig that's 25 minutes, it's like so much easier than an hour and you can just do like your funniest shit and everyone loves you. And then you haven't taken up too much of their time and you're like, peace out. And they're like, she's amazing. So I'm like, oh, super easy, super easy. So this is like his 25 minute set. And he's like, super easy, no big. I'm like, mm, sort of weird for me. So <clears throat> before the guy nails me with the syringe, he's like, so here's what I'm going to do as the anesthesiologist. We're going to do this, do that. He's like, I put in a breathing tube and I made a face. Here's the thing. When I had my upper endoscopy, they put this, I felt like a pig who was getting an apple put in its mouth before it was being roasted. Before they gave me the mask for anesthesia and before they put me under, they fashioned this thing I had to bite down on, this like harness that was going to somehow do something. And then they were going to put a breathing tube in. And I really wish I hadn't been awake for that moment. Cause that's when I started shaking going, oh, I'm gagging. Ugh. Like breathing is my biggest thing. So just to let everyone know, some people's anxiety lives in different areas. Like some people get a stomach ache if they're anxious. For me, breathing is always my biggest concern. And I think it just like traumatic like not traumatic, but like when I was a kid, the type of sick I would get would be more on the pneumonia side. I had pneumonia a couple of times, like nothing's like threatening, like I'm going to die, but I think I probably had to go to the hospital a couple of times. I don't have asthma, like, oh my God, I've been hospitalized for an asthma attack, but I have like exercise induced asthma. Like maybe I have to take a couple puffs before I go on a big hike or when I get sick, the, the, the little bronchial tube starts squeaking, you know? And, um, so because of that, I've always been really afraid of, I know everyone's afraid of not breathing, but it's been a little bit more than the average bear for me. It's sort of, that's why I always found it very funny that like what you're supposed to do when you're anxious is like deep breathing. And it's like, I can't. And I had to, for so long, deal with this common wisdom. Now, of course, deep breathing is clinically proven to take away your anxiety um, because you're oxygenating and you're, you're calming down your nervous system. But it takes me twice as long because when I begin the deep breathing, I get more anxious and then it circles around to calm me down. So it's always like I have to do like extra things before I deep breathe to calm me down even before I deep breathe. I've always just been like the way that I definitely fear feeling is like having emphysema or being on a breathing tube permanently or just feeling like I can't get a deep breath like or feeling like I'm choking on phlegm. It, it's just my worst feeling. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And it really freaks me out and sends me into a panic. And I think that's why for so many years I smoked because it was as counterintuitive as, as that is. It was like my little rebellion. Like if I'm smoking, then I honestly can't be someone who has anxiety about breathing. Like I win. I'm smoking. I don't care. I'm chill. I really 
think there was a connection there. So anyway, when he said breathing tube, I just winced because even though I know I'm going to be under when they do it, I don't know. It was just, it's such a vulnerable feeling. And, and the scariest thing to me about a breathing tube, and by the way, they're completely safe and they're there to help you. But the most human vulnerable thing about a breathing tube is when you wake up and you realize how sore your throat is and you're like, wow, like that's from the breathing tube. You know, not that it did any damage or anything, but it's just a foreign object in your body and your throat gets sore because of it. And anyway, I winced and he seemed offended and I couldn't tell if he was like joking around me or if he was really offended. He's like, oh my God. He's like, everyone makes that face about a breathing tube. He's like, hello, I'm there to help you. And I go, oh no, I know. I'm just freak, a freak. I'm freaking out because I'm like looking at the syringe. Like, can you do it now? And he's like, he's like, meanwhile, the doctor's going to be like cutting your face open and like banging your head around. I'm like, okay, like I got it. I mean, he's joking and he's saying things that obviously the doctor isn't going to be doing, I don't think. But he's like, seriously though, what? I'm the one that's helping you and giving you drugs and everyone's like scared of me and they're not scared of the surgeon. And I actually do think he's right in a way. Like I think anesthesiologists have um, in the media been getting a bad rap because of Dr. Conrad Murray and how Joan Rivers died, which... um don't even know if there was a proper anesthesiologist there or just someone who, like, whoever did her anesthesia could be the most amazing anesthesiologist ever, but they didn't have what they needed to revive you. And that has to be part of it. And so I know that it's like a really, you know, it's a job that is taken very seriously. And of course, there have been examples of uh, really irresponsible anesthesiologist, but I do think that that, that got into our general psyche and it's definitely something I think about now. I didn't used to think about it. Um, and now I'm just like, oh yeah, surgeons are fine, but these anesthesiologists, they're a bunch of freaks. They're just going to walk away and let you die when you're, so anyway, he said, um, I said, well, let me just say out loud my three biggest fears because it'll help me. I'm like, my biggest fear is that you will give me too much and I will die. My second biggest fear is that you will not give me enough and I will wake up and I will be very uncomfortable and I'll be choking and I'll hit the doctor and then he'll accidentally put uh, the balloon in my nose. It'll hit my brain and I'll die. And three, I'm afraid I will wake up and you won't know I'm awake and I'll be experiencing the surgery and you will have no idea. And he just nodded and took it in. And he's like, all things that there's very low chance of that happening. And I'm like, I don't want to just lie at that point and go zero chance. But anyway, so I'm like, he pulls out the syringe again, very theatrically. Puts it in my hand. I'm like, yeah, I don't feel anything. Oh, oh, I don't know what it was. I keep forgetting to ask. And I go, Oh, I'm so happy. Oh, this is way better than two cocktails. Because when the doctor said two cocktails, I'm like, I am a lightweight, but like, well, you know, also I'm one of those people that like drinking doesn't make me less nervous. So if I'm nervous, drinking will exacerbate it. Um, 
So it was just like a bad analogy. If I'm already relaxed, then two cocktails definitely feels great. But, um, so I was like, this is bad. I go, whew, I'm so scared, but this feels pretty good. And he goes, do you want more? I'm like, yeah, I didn't need more. I wasn't going to panic. I already knew. And he gives me more. I'm like, don't listen to the high person going, yeah. Like, but I guess, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't have given me more if it wasn't. So I black out. Like after he is not even done putting the next syringe in, I'm, I'm gone. And that wasn't the anesthesia. That was the to relax me. So I heard this. So what I'm about to tell you, you're like, well, then how do you know what happened? Because I had a post-op appointment with my surgeon. And I'm like, you know, I totally blacked out like before you guys even wheeled me away. He's like, no, you didn't. I was talking to you. I was like, I don't remember any of it. And I said, all I remember is saying to the anesthesiologist, yes, I would like more. And then something went in my hand and I was out. And I, I trust me, I would remember getting wheeled to surgery because I don't like that. And I would remember getting wheeled to it, even feeling relaxed, getting like, I would remember I blacked out completely. And I feel like the surgeon maybe didn't like that truth because I think he probably did come in and give me his spiel about like what we're going to do during the surgery. And he probably wasn't that excited that his patient was blacked out and not really hearing him or comprehending anything he was saying. Like, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure, but it was like, uh, so basically what he said was, and in a weird way, I do remember this one moment. I remember my doctor looking at me and going, queen then. And that's all I remember. Like when he said it, I was like, oh yeah, I kind of remember. So basically he says to me, And again, this is, I don't remember. And he told me, he's like, hey, so we play music in the operating room. Do you have any preference? And I guess I said to him, well, no, what do you like? Because I mean, I'm not there, you know, I'm out. So I want him to be happy and operating. Like, what if I was like, oh yeah, you have to play um, like speed metal. Like, and he's not used to that. So he's going to be trying to operate with speed metal playing, you know, I, I I want, it's like easy, like Sunday morning, Lionel Richie, whatever, let's all stay calm. So I said, well, what do you want to listen to? He goes seventies, eighties. And I guess he started naming things like queen this, I go queen, queen, queen. And, um, and then, and then when he said that I said that, I do remember a flash of his face going queen. And then he said, I was kind of fist pumping, but I had a, I feel in my hand. So they were like, please stop. And I was like, Queen, Freddie Mercury. So that's apparently what I was chanting before they put me under. And I like to think that Freddie Mercury oversaw the surgery. It was one of his talents was sphenoid sinus surgery. But I think he was like, let's make sure I know how important the voice is. Let's make sure we get this surgery done because it will affect her resonant tones. Get those sinuses draining properly so that, I mean, I really do. So thank you. So anyway, um, I guess they plead queen during the surgery, which was a couple hours. And I wonder what songs. Well, it absolutely proves to me 
Now, I know you all may have different personal stories, and I don't mean to take... By the way, if someone close to me was like in a coma and I played the music, absolutely, I'd be like, I know they heard it. But I'm telling you, for me, I didn't fucking hear shit. And so it proved to me, if I was ever unconscious and y'all are in my room playing all of my greatest hits that I love, I'm not going to know. Like, I just had no idea. I didn't even have like a Queen song in my head. You know, it's not like, like, I didn't find out this happened until four days after my surgery. So it's not like I was like, you know, why is keep yourself alive in my head? You know, there was no proof in my mind that I'd heard any queen. So I wake up in the little recovery room and it's six o'clock and I'm like, why have a long, what? Like I slept for hours and I believe it's because, um, they'd given me propofol, but I believe that they'd given me propofol when I got my upper endoscopy two years ago, but I believe the combination of the propofol and then the thing to relax me before really just knocked me out. And again, I had, now I hadn't eaten in like you know, I don't know, six, whatever, almost a day. And so I was probably just like really ripe for staying under for a while. So I, it took me like two, three hours to wake up. Whereas when I got my upper endoscopy, I was awake within five minutes of them wheeling me back to the recovery area. I was like, Hey everyone, what's up girl? And I was talking about my eyelashes, um, to the lady that was helping me get ready to leave. Um, but this is different. I mean, this was pretty invasive surgery and man, I mean, he did do stuff in my nose, but then to get back to my sphenoid sinus, he has to go through my nose. So your noses are so sensitive. It's like, it's so painful, you know? And so I woke up and I'm not really, I'm really not a pain, um, like I don't get headaches. I'm not, I don't get period cramps really. Like I, I don't experience pain that much. And then kind of when I do, it doesn't really phase me too much. It, the things that really phase me are being uncomfortable and being anxious, but like pain doesn't bother me as much. There's sort of a Zen, um, consistency to pain that I can sort of deal with in a way that I can't deal with nausea uncomfortability, anxiety as well as not that pain is great. And certainly those of you out there with very severe chronic pain, I certainly don't mean to imply that it's easy. I'm saying, uh, for me, if I were to have period cramps as opposed to a head cold, I'd take the period cramps. Um, so I wake up and I just think I was hungry and I just think I was vulnerable, but I start like whining like a baby and getting really weird. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. And the nurse was like, what, honey? I'm like, my restless legs. And I, I don't know if I have restless legs syndrome per se, cause I don't have it every day, but I have it when I'm really overtired. I have it. I will wake up in the middle of the night with it. I have magnesium spray that I rub on my legs. I take magnesium before bed. Sometimes it's just so fucking brutal. Um, and I don't get it often. But when I get it, it's fucking brutal. 
I'm like, ah, I guess uh, I leg. And she was like, okay. I'm like, and then all of a sudden, like, I don't remember because I was so foggy. But in my memory, I was like, ow, my nose hurts so bad. Now, I don't know if it hurt that bad or if I was just like, you know, when you wake up from surgery and you feel nothing and then like five minutes goes by and you're like, oh, I feel where they cut me. So I think it was just like that, but I was so being a baby that I was like, oh, I can't take the pain anymore. And I wasn't even angling for any medication because I didn't think there was any more medication train. I just wanted to cry and be comforted. And she's like, I got it. You're getting Dilaudid. I'm like, I'm getting Dilaudid? Like, okay, 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 okay. Oh my God. Dear Lord, everybody. Are they trying to kill me with the, 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 you know, my William Burroughs? It was, it was, and now I've had Demerol when I had my tonsils out and they shot it into my bum bum. Um, and it was fucking heaven just five days of complete heaven. Um, and she's like, the Dilaudid lasts for 10 minutes. And I'm like, well, it seems ineffective. So she's putting it through the IV in my hand. She's like, how's that? I'm like, whoa, I don't even know what's happening. And then I'm just like, I need pudding. She's like, you got it. And I'm like, I also need applesauce. They're like, you got it. So I'm sitting there with applesauce and pudding. And then I'm like, I'm going to vomit. And then she gives me more Dilaudid. I'm like, so then I'm laying there. I'm like, why is she pumping me with opiates? Like, I don't understand what's happening. And I'm laying there with pudding in one hand. And I've just completely passed out drooling. And I swear to God, I think she was taking the IV out of my hand, but I think I was so high, I was getting paranoid. And I thought she was trying to kill me by giving me more. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I don't know what was happening. So I started trying to make a video. <laughs> I don't know what was happening. There was just a lot happening. And then my surgeon pops his head in. How you doing? I'm like, huh? And he's like, everything went amazing. He's like, that was, he's like, when I got in there, Jen, it was more clogged than we even saw in the CAT scan. It is so good you did the surgery. He's like, it was bad. I was like, ah. He's like, you're just going to feel uncomfortable for a few days. Like you have a head cold. He's like, I'll see you Friday. And um, I'm like, ah. And he's like, you know, and then after Friday, I'm going to show you how to do the nasal irrigation. He's like, just for now, don't blow your nose. If you sneeze, like open your mouth real wide. He's like sleep sitting up, you know, I'm like, uh. and they kept saying, do you have someone who can spend the night tonight? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I could ask people to, but I'm fine. I'm not going to get like, I think they, I don't know. So they, they, they finish with the thing and 10 minutes, you know, goes by. I'm like, and she's giving me more Dilaudid. I'm like, I don't need more. Like, I actually feel that it hasn't worn off yet. And she's like, whatever. Um, then they put me in a wheelchair, which is, you know, the normal thing they do. And I, I just, you know, sometimes I'm psychic. Um, I had a million friends offering to drive me home. But I opted for, they have this car service at the surgery center 
where the driver is also kind of a nurse type person. So they're very helpful if you are vomiting or whatevering. So I leave with, it looks like a giant maxi pad under my nose, which it probably was. And it's like a strap, like you wear a strap around your face with this thing and I'm just bleeding. And it's, it's going to be a few days of bleeding. And then, and sometimes it's blood and sometimes it's just, um, mucus that's red because you have blood. So there's that around my nose. I'm like, <sighs> but I'm in like complete opiate, whatever. So I don't notice yet that I have stints in my nose. I have no idea that I do. I don't notice yet that I can't breathe. So, but all I notice is that I'm nauseous. So the guy's driving me home and I'm like, oh, I'm going to puke. And so we almost puke like five times. And the minute I get out of the car, I'm just fucking vomiting all over my driveway and I don't even know what happened to it. Like, so the guy walks me into my building, but he's not dressed like a nurse. So I think that the doorman who hates me, because he mentioned it a few days later, like, you haven't picked up your packages in three days. And like, he screwed up and forgot to give me one. He's like, because you don't do the system right. You have to pick them up as they come in. And you came in all hung over the other day with that guy. I go, I had surgery. I was fucking on opiates and that was a nurse. Like he acted like I was drunk at 7 PM. Um, or he said all out of it. He didn't say hungover, which implies like he didn't know I had surgery. So he just thought like, I mean, come on. Anyway. So the guy helps me into my place and he puts me on the couch and he's like, are you here by yourself? I'm like, yes. But I didn't get that feeling that people were like, oh my God, you're not in a relationship. It wasn't that. It was just like, no, seriously, like anybody has to be here, like a fucking dog, like anything, like you're going to fall down. And so I was like, fine. And so I called on Chris Frangiola, my neighbor right next door. And he had said, if you need anything, let me know. So I was like, I'm letting you know. And I was like, you have to come over while this wears off. And he was like, okay. And I was all confused. And all I knew was like, I have now not eaten in 24 hours except a half a pudding that I threw up. And I'm like, I need fucking pudding. And so I put in an order on a grocery delivery service and they're like, we won't be there for an hour. And I was like, an hour? I need the pudding now. So I call Chris and I'm like, can I text you a grocery list and will you go get it? Cause we live like really close to a grocery store. And he's like, totally. But when all is said and done, by the time he goes and waits in lines also an hour. So he shows up and then the grocery delivery is like basically at the same time. And he's a good enough friend that I can, he didn't shame me for it. Cause he saw how fucking out of it I was and I was making no sense. And he sat with me for a while and I'm like, I'm going to throw up. So you should go home. And he's like, well, I'll stay and so I went into the bathroom and I was throwing up and then he starts Instagram video. And then my friends started doing this thing where they were making Instagram videos about who was taking care of me better. And it was funny, but then also I was like, I don't know what's like, I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't comprehend it. And I was like, hi. So I was paranoid. I'm like, are they really mad at me? And then everyone I know was texting me. How are you? What's going on? And I just, I didn't know what to do. So I was like, um, call this person. So like, 
I was just telling people to call different people and like friends of mine that don't even know each other were like calling each other like, is she okay? And like people were getting more worried because I was making no sense. Like I was so out of my fucking mind and I was getting irritable and just annoyed. Like, leave me alone. Like it was literally like the cycle of opiate issues. Like this is great. I'm having so many problems with this. I'm vomiting. I hate everybody. Like it was just going nuts. So finally I make Chris leave. I'm like, I have to go to bed. And I think, oh, amazing. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to sleep like a baby. I really am not aware that there's all this shit in my nose. And I wake up at one in the morning and I cannot breathe. Like taking a breath in and out, it's like a wall. There's literally a wall and I can breathe through my mouth and my throat's really sore. And then I feel like I have ants inside of me crawling around. So I have restless legs and then also like itchy inside the arms and I'm having a complete panic attack and I feel like I'm trapped in my face. I feel like that nightmare of like, hey, I hope I don't wake up during surgery when I can't move. It felt like that. And I was, I've never had this kind of anxiety attack probably ever where I, I knew everything I should possibly do and I couldn't do it. I I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And I, I went and turned on every light in my home and pretended it was daytime. And I crawled along the wall. I don't know what I did that for. And I sat up straight in bed and I just started playing that game design home. And I was like, it's daytime. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And I eventually fell asleep for like two hours and I woke up and, um, I had some Vicodin and I did have a lot of pain the next morning, but again, like it was like, it wasn't bothering me. It was just that I couldn't breathe, but I was like, I'll take a Vicodin and because, um, you know, you can't take any anti-swelling medications after surgery cause they make you bleed more. So it's like you take Tylenol for pain or Vicodin for pain, but the things that actually would help with the swelling you can't take. But my doctor had been like, look, Vicodin's there for a reason. Um, when your body is like going through trauma and pain, like as much as you can ease it, it helps you actually like put your energy towards healing. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So I took some, but Vicodin makes me anxious. I've discovered like, uh, it's not for me. Like I'm not an opiates kind of person. I, I thought, and it's really upsetting because I had this game plan, you know, when I'm old, that like the morphine will feel really good when I'm laying in bed sick. And now I'm like, I think it's going to make me anxious. So now I'm just freaking out all over the place. But, um, so I didn't take anything. I just took Tylenol and it was fine. But the doc, I swear to God, he didn't tell me that he put stints in my nose because I didn't have surgery on my front sinuses. So I didn't know why I would have to have things helping me breathe in the front. But I guess the fact that it even went in my nose at all could cause it to swell. And so you have to put the stints in so that your nose would just otherwise just swell to like actual closing up. So I, there was, you know, imagine these big, it's literally the size of my pinky and I can put pictures on the website and you'll all hate me, but it's literally the size of the pinky and it's in your nose and in your sinus. And then the end of it is like a little circular tube. And in front of, so I, I looked in my nose. I'm like, 
we don't got plastic in my nose. And I texted him. I go, do you put stints in my nose? He's like, yep, we'll take them out Friday. It's Wednesday. I'm like, I can't take it. And there's big red blood crusting in front of the holes. So I, I literally can't breathe. And it's driving me crazy. And I can breathe through my mouth. But you can't breathe through your mouth for 72 hours. And you go fucking insane. I was losing my mind. And nothing anyone was doing was helping. Like people were com- like you can't lift anything. You, you can't like even move your head from an upright position. So my friend Sarah came back over and she like lifted this heavy distilled water I had to get. And she filled my humidifiers. Um, my ex, who's my friend came over, like people were coming over and my friend Mel came over. People were coming over. That's a woman's name, not a guy's name. People were coming over and helping me and more and more people were offering. And I was like, please everyone go away because it was one of those things where I was like, if you don't have splints or stints in your nose, I can't deal with you. Like I just hated the outside world for not feeling like I did and I couldn't breathe and no one was soothing my anxiety. It was a fucking living hell. It was like an existential crisis and I I couldn't even, people were like, you know, take it easy, listen to podcasts, watch things. It's like, no, I had, do you know what? <clears throat> I was so excited. I took that whole week off. I was like, you know, I'm working on some projects. I mean, I didn't have to work my job job at Mrs. Maisel. We weren't back. We weren't back in the writer's room until the week after. But like, you know, like talking to my agent about tour dates or talking to my manager about this show idea I have. Like, I was just like everybody that I deal with on a daily basis where we talk about plan. Like nobody contact me. I can't. I'm just going to be taking some Vicodin and relaxing and reading books and listening to podcasts and watching movies for four days. And it's going to actually be like a little vacation. None of that happened. I, I read one word of a book. I was like, ah, oh, my nose, I can't breathe. I tried to watch movies, nothing, nothing. The only movie I could watch, and this was on Thursday, I try, everything was making me anxious. I don't even know how to explain it. I was like, too much noise, too many sights, too many sounds. I couldn't watch anything. I, I put on Devil Wears products. I've seen it 4,000 times. And I just had it on in the background. The volume was on like one. And I, I literally can't explain to you guys. I just sat and stared at a wall for like 72 hours. I couldn't do anything. I was just sitting there making sure I was breathing. And you can't blow your nose. So imagine like, and my surgeon was like, you'll just feel like you have a stuffy nose for a couple days. No. Understatement of the fucking year. And here's the deal. It's so dry and you cannot get the crusted blood out. So I'm just taking that stuff called Ocean, that that saline nasal spray, and I'm putting it, I can't even get the nozzle in my nostril and I'm just spraying it and it's like blowing back, dripping down my face. Like I couldn't get in there. And then finally my surgeon texted me like, well, you can take Afrin and that did help open it up, but you can't open up a plastic splint with Afrin, but it helps like stop some of the bleeding, which was helping not, but yeah, I mean, I didn't sleep for three nights. So I was starting to go insane. And my really good friend, Kimberly, who doesn't live in America anymore, but she was like voice memoing me. And she's like, don't forget, like we need to breathe fully and deeply to oxygenate our system, which helps keep us sane and calm. And you actually are at a loss of like full oxygen and you're already anxious. And then that makes you more anxious and you haven't slept. Like 
this is really happening. You're not imagining it. And I was like, that just that validation was all I needed to be like, okay, so this is like a physical hell and I'm going to have a few days of it. And it was just like, it's like my worst nightmare. It's just like, I just don't like that stuff. And I tried to like lighten up about it and I made some Instagram videos, but the more information I gave people, just the worse it got. I just kept getting advice I didn't need. And I was just like, oh, forget it. Like I really wanted to isolate because there was nothing anyone could do. And I, I think it was Wednesday. Yeah, it was. So Tuesday night was dark night of the soul in my bedroom. Wednesday night I went to bed at like 10 and I woke up at midnight and I was like, oh, hell no. Is that all the sleep I'm going to get? And I just remember going, God, universe, anything, higher self, I need you to intervene on my behalf right now and tell me what to do. Just tell, give me an instinct. Tell me what to do. I'm going to lose my fucking mind. And then the thought popped in my head. Bring your fucking bedding to the couch, you idiot. You're sick. And there's something, because I don't have a TV in my room, and my room is so cozy, and it's like a little good vibe sanctuary. But for some reason, when I'm sick, it feels like um, a scary place, if that makes sense, because it's it's your bedroom. It's cordoned off from the rest of the house, you know? And so it's like, when you're healthy, it's like, yeah, good. But when you're not, it's like, I need to be out there. Even though no one's here, I just feel... So I took my big, huge, fluffy comforter and my big like pillows that you're normally not supposed to sleep on, but just those big square ones for decoration. And I took those and I brought them out to the couch. And then the ultimate indulgence, you put the sheets on the cushions on the couch. And I made this little wonderment of a bed And it was perfect. And I could sleep sitting up. And then I got my little like, my little C stand that I normally have my computer on. I put like my liquids and then I had my tile and all, and then I had my tissues and, and I just had my own little world. And then I started to feel like not so scared. And then I had the TV on and it just started to get better like after that. Um, but mainly I was like, my, my, my Nana got old. She started getting afraid of the night and she'd stay up all night and then sleep all day. Cause it was almost like, I think she felt she had to be on guard at night. Like is death coming tonight? And so I feel like that's how I was doing. Like I was kind of staying up all night and then sleeping in the day, but I'd sleep like two hours at night and then nap for like 90 minutes during the day. So it wasn't great. It wasn't great. And then when I drove to my doctor, I was like, I should probably, um, I'm not going to say not be driving, but I mean, it was just like, there's a difference between starting to see the light and feel better when you're home. And then you get in your car and you go somewhere and you're like, ah, not ready for this, not ready for this. But I get to my doctor's office and he takes the Thing on, things out of my nose. And I'm like, holy shit, what a difference. Oh my God, I can breathe. And when I saw the size of those motherfuckers, and then he did the thing that I just have dreamt of my whole life. You know, when you have post-nasal drip and it feels so cloggy back there and you're trying to like swallow it or get it to come through your nose and it's just stuck. He just took this thing that was suction, like, like when you're at the dentist and they're sucking your spit, he put it down my nose and just sucked out all the fucking 
junk. And I was like, that's the best feeling in the world. He's like, your nose is totally clear. And then it's going to start swelling again tonight. I'm like, motherfuck, when does this end? He's like, it's going to take a while. So it's exactly what happened. I slept a little better that night, but it started swelling again. And, you know, I just, I went back uh, a few days ago to get, and he's like, see, you still have another splint or stint or whatever you call it in your nose. I'm like, what? There's still something else in there. Um, he's like, it's going to dissolve on its own. I'm like, okay. I don't really feel it, but I knew there was something. I, when I would touch my nose, it just felt hard on one side. So I don't know. I mean, I'm still fucking exhausted. So like surgery was Tuesday. I felt like I had to recover from all the drugs they gave me from not eating for a day from, oh, I threw up for two days. That was the other thing. I kept throwing up every time I ate and he was like, I don't get it. I'm like, I don't either. Cause I wasn't taking the Vicodin. Um, so then I had to go on this anti-nausea medication and throwing up fucking sucked. Cause I was having food go into my nose, but it couldn't come out. It was putting a lot of pressure on the stitches and it just, it fucking sucked. So I threw up for two days. That was, I forgot about that part. So I had to recover from like all of that, you know, and then like I had to go back to work Monday. So the surgery was Tuesday, April 3rd. And I went back to work Monday, April 9th. So like six days later. So, um, the writer's room for Mrs. Maisel was in Los Angeles last week, but it was, um, I live in the Valley and the writer's room was in Santa Monica near the beach. So it's like a 90 minute commute with traffic. It's literally like the worst case scenario of commutes. And, um, yeah, so I was like busy 12 hours a day between commuting and working and I was really fucking tired. And then I flew to New York Saturday on a 5.45 AM flight. So, and I got in and I got settled into my Airbnb. And then I went to see the David Bowie exhibit yesterday, Sunday. And then I saw my friend Hannah Gatsby's amazing off-Broadway one-woman show called Nanette. Oh my God, I can't even, if you live in New York, do yourself a favor and see it, especially if you are not, well, if you are a straight white male, you're going to learn a lot from it. And it's really funny. And it's about all these jokes she told. She did a a fantastic one-woman show years ago that won many awards about um, what it was like when she came out of the closet. And it's funny, funny, ha ha. And then she realized I'm making myself the butt of a joke when the truth is I tell a story about getting um, made fun of at a bus stop and then I act like everything was okay. But the way the story really ended is I was beaten up and almost raped. And it's like, oh. And she's like, that's my story. And I've not been telling my story because I've been trying to make jokes, but the jokes just go away and they don't solve anything. And so it was like a one-woman show about like quitting comedy in the middle of the one-woman show to like tell her truth and to talk about like the mythology of like separating a man from his art and abuse. And it was just so fucking good. Just see it. It's called Nanette. It's at the Soho Playhouse. It just got extended. Um, anyway. So it's like, yeah, I did do two things yesterday, but it's not like I was like, you know, running a marathon, but I still haven't been able to work out. Um, I haven't been able to eat much because I can't taste anything. So like if I craved a piece of cake, like it wouldn't even matter if I ate it. So all that eating healthy I was doing and Pilates and oh my God, my body won't do what I want. Like, of course I dropped a ton of weight from eating pudding and toast all the time (laughs) and not even my wearing my Fitbit, like just as a joke, 
I'd walk like 150 steps some days and like never lost more weight in my life. So, Hey, if you want to lose weight, get some surgery. Um, so I don't know. I'm still exhausted. Like I was almost like crying today on the subway. Like I can't take another stop. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. So I don't know. I'm like, I guess I have to realize that like, even though the surgery was 13 days ago, it's like, yeah, like I probably needed another week to recover, but I went back to work and I don't know. I mean, nothing against my surgeon, but he certainly didn't say that I could still feel this weird this much later. And I just do. I don't know. It's taken me a long time to recover and I'm, I hate it because I want to be my usual self, but I don't like being the sick person. I just feel like people think you're being overdramatic. Like, God, are you not? And you know, people do. They ask you questions like feeling better. I'm like, no. And they're like, really? Does it still hurt? I'm like, it was never the pain to begin with. It was the exhaustion and the unpredictability of my sleep. And people are like, nah, they don't want to hear that. They're just like, but it feels better, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I feel better. Bye, go away. You know, I mean, I'm still not sleeping perfectly. And even with taking things to sleep, so... You know, I think it's just my, as my surgeon put it, he's like, we traumatize your nose. And um, unlike when you traumatize a person's psyche, you know, we can respond in in many different ways when our psyches have been traumatized. Um, but our nose responds one way only to all trauma. I'll make more mucus, like no matter what, that's the nose's move. So my nose is just making more mucus that it doesn't need to make. And it's going to be that way, he said, for maybe a month. So it's been two weeks. I've probably two more weeks of it. It'll get easier every time. But it's annoying. I have to keep saying to people, I'm not sick. I just had sinus surgery. And then they're like, sinuses, you must be sick a lot. I'm like, no, not that kind of sinus. It's just, it's like a JKL nightmare. It's just too much small talk about shit. So that's my, that's my story. That's my story. I almost didn't do an episode this week because I was tired. And I was like, they need to know my story of surgery. <laughs> like anyone cares. But I, I, you know what gave me comfort was Googling about sinus surgery. And, and, and no, no matter what kind of sinus you have uh, taken care of, it, all the recovery is the same. And so I was reading about people's recovery um, on like message boards and people – they all went into the dark night of the soul, man. It, 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 it's claustrophobia and I don't have claustrophobia. You could put me in an elevator and a subway and shoulder to shoulder and doesn't bother me at all. Even if the thing gets stuck or, um, airplanes, I like the kind of tight feeling. I'm more of an agoraphobe than anything. I don't like big, wide open spaces. And, and yet I experienced what I realize now is intense claustrophobia of being trapped in my own face. And, um, if you read about sinus surgery, and why wouldn't you? You want to enjoy your life, so you're going to read about sinus surgery. Um, that's what people were talking about. So I was like, okay, I feel totally normal. And then so many people were reaching out on like Instagram DM and Twitter being like, I had that same surgery. I'm like, everyone's getting their sphenoids taken care of up in here? So yeah, just everyone know. If you know someone who's had sinus surgery... Um, be gentle on their psyche. Just if they say they don't need anything, fucking believe them or they might lash out at you like I did to my friends. I'm like, everyone leave me alone. <laughs> so anyway, oh God, I I hope I have some fun this week. Right now I'm going to go to bed, which is probably going to be 
hopefully an attempt at some fun. Um, oh my God. So many episodes to come up, to come up. I wanted Dr. Barbara Persons to make an appearance. She, she will soon. I need to tell you about the weirdest voice. Oh, by the way, and my surgeon said to me, he goes, oh, the anesthesiologist was too shy to tell you, but he's a big fan of yours. I'm like, people, you've got to tell me when you're a fan of mine. They're, I feel like I'm losing fans every day. If you're about to put me under, tell me you're a fan of mine. That would have made me so happy. So anyway, so now I look back at the whole breathing tube shtick, and I think he was just trying to be funny for the comedian. And to be honest, it was funny. I just felt bad that I maybe offended him. So we're going to talk about uh, my weird vocal doctor, um, Maybe Dr. Barbara Persons will show up. We've got some listener emails. I've got some articles to read you. We've got some topics to discuss. Um, there's a lot of good stuff coming up. I don't know what I'm talking about. I really fucking don't. Keep your sphenoids clear until next week. Have fun.